We're going to now read from Jonah chapter 4. And just a reminder of where we're at on this, Jonah has now traveled to Nineveh. He has preached to the Ninevites that uh, God is going to destroy them in 40 days if they don't do something about it. And uh, amazingly, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Ninevites have repented. Uh, and so this is where we're at, picking out from verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life away from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If, because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, 
For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, so let's look at Jonah chapter 4. This is uh, Jonah 4. Uh, so, so Dave's kind of reset us to tell us where we're at. Jonah 4 is, uh, Tim Keller says it's one of the most underrated chapters in the whole Bible. If you ask most Christians, like, do you know the story of Jonah? They'll say, okay, so yeah, the, uh, you get swallowed by a fish, right? And then, uh, not, not all Christians, but a lot of Christians will know about chapter 3. And then he went and he preached to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented. Uh, but chapter 4 is the, uh, the mystery chapter. Uh, what happens to Jonah? Chapter 4 is about this, uh, Jonah sort of psychologically crashes here. And the questions are why, and we'll actually talk more about this specifically next week, because next week we finish up Jonah. But when you get to Jonah 4, you realize that, that God, in the book of Jonah, God is uh, determined to save, he's determined to save um, uh, the sailors on the ship, the Phoenician sailors. He's determined to save the Ninevites. But one of his big goals is to actually save Jonah, who is a believer, from himself. Jonah himself needs salvation. And so we'll start looking at that this week, and uh, we'll talk more specifically about it next week. But let me read this to you again, Jonah 4, 1-4. through It displeased Jonah exceedingly. What, what displeases him exceedingly is that he preached the gospel to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? And now you're getting to see a little bit of the conversation that he had with God back in chapter 1, where God says, go to Nineveh, and he doesn't want to do it. And the reason why is here in verses 2 and 3. Is not this what I said to you uh, when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Uh, And of course, we're all thinking that's a little bit of a uh, you know, drama queen stuff right there. Uh, we'll talk more about whether it is drama queen stuff in a minute. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And the implied answer is no, you shouldn't be angry. You don't have a right to be angry. It's a question that will come back up next week too. Jonah's anger continues and God confronts him with like, what's the cause of your anger? And uh, why do you feel like that? In that middle section there, uh, where uh, Jonah says to God, I know you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger. This is, this is, there's a common refrain that runs through the Old Testament where Old Testament writers or people in the Old Testament will reflect on the character of God and who He is and they'll use language just like this. And it goes back to Exodus 34 where uh, God meets with Moses and they're, they're uh, talking and Moses says to God, I want to I actually see you. I want to see what you look like. And God says to Moses, I can't let that happen, that you would disintegrate. No human being can stand my presence. And Moses insists, I want to see your glory. And so God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put you in this crack, in this rock, and shelter you, and then I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, you'll see my back, he says. You'll see like the tail end. You'll see the faint afterglow of my glory. And that's all you get. But when Yahweh passes by Moses, this is what Yahweh says. Yahweh, Yahweh, full of mercy, well, I'm going to quote actually from Jonah 4 here. You're a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
That's who God is. That's for the Orthodox believer in the Old Testament, for the Orthodox believer now. Who is God? God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God loves to relent from disaster. He loves to back up the bad things that he's going to cause us because of our sin and pay those back. Now, uh, just background here. This, this upsets Jonah. So what's weird is that Jonah is upset by this. And Jonah says, like, I'm upset, God. I'm angry because I know that that's the way you are. Jonah's orthodoxy is making him angry at the God who he believes in. Now, before we say that, that's just bizarre. Every single one of, let me talk to Christians just for a few seconds here. Every single one of us who are believers, we've been there. We know who God is. It's not that we don't, it's not that we stop believing in God or Jesus, but we're still angry at Him. Sometimes for who He is, for His own character. More on that in just a second. The first line here is that it displeases, in the ESV it says it displeased Jonah exceedingly. I don't know, my, my, my ESV has a marginal note, which is, you can look at that if you, if you're looking at your Bible there. Actually, it says, this is very, very evil to Jonah. When the Ninevites repent, it's very, it's literally in Hebrew it says, it's extremely evil to Jonah. Evil's a word, do you guys remember this? This evil's a word that's popped up a lot in Jonah. He says, uh, God says to Jonah in chapter one, I want you to go to Nineveh because that city's evil has arisen before me. But Jonah runs and he gets on a boat and God sends an evil storm. And then the sailors say, who has done this evil thing that their God wants to kill them? And Jonah says, it's me. I'm the one who did the evil thing. Uh, in chapter three, the Ninevites, what they repent of, the king of Nineveh says, let's turn from the great evil we have done. And then in chapter three, verse 10, when, when they do, God says, he saw that they turned away from their great evil and then he saved them. And now here we get to chapter 4, and Jonah, if he's like a halfway decent Christian, like, is this not the goal? Like, I, like, it's, it's, it's bizarre for me to think that somebody would be like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some evangelism here, and I hope it doesn't work. Or, or better, better, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak the gospel to these people. Okay, let's decide that you're going to be a a better evangelist at your school or at your work. And and you go there and you start talking to people, and then all of a sudden, like your whole office, in mass, converts to Jesus. That would be like a dream come true for most of us, right? And for Jonah, though, he sees them turning from this great evil, and he says, that's evil. That's wrong. That that's Jonah has a different definition of evil than God, and it comes out here, right? So for Jonah, evil is primarily a them thing. For Jonah, evil is the thing that separates him from the nasty unbelievers. And for them to turn away from their evil, for for Assyrians, whom he hates, to turn away from evil, it actually confuses him about who God is. It makes him angry about God. Because these definitions of evil that he's always had, where I'm not evil, but the bad guys are evil, have been a really safe place for him to live. In his brain, it's created this sort of like, I'm better than them, more on that in just a second too. I'm better than them, and now that wall's starting to come down, and who he is, who he identifies with, is starting to slip away from him. This is what makes him angry. He has a different different definition of evil from God. And what we see this week and the next week as we go through chapter 4, is that the real evil isn't out there. The real evil isn't the thems. It's not the evil people. It's not the Ninevites in your world. The real evil's in here. 
That's where the real evil's at. That's the evil that God wants to take care of with us, is the evil in our own heart. And so, that's all intro. Here we go. I'm going to give you four points. Let's get back to the main theme of the Old Testament and the main theme of Jonah and talk about what this evil is. It's idolatry. It's worshiping a God that's not the true God. And let's talk about what this means. I'm going to give you four things here about idolatry. So first of all, we'll talk about the problem actually is idolatry. The idol is, second thing, the idol in Jonah is self-justification. The third thing is, is this, there's a symptom. Jonah, there's a symptom of Jonah's idolatry that comes out physically. And then the fourth thing is the solution, which is always the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that first. Let's talk about the problem first. It's weird to charge Jonah with idolatry because he's clearly a God worshiper, right? I mean, he knows who the God, he knows who Yahweh is. He's the merciful and gracious one, slow to anger, etc. But, and you and I do too. For those of you who are Christians, you and I do too. But look, here's the deal. Like anytime you say, God, I believe in you. God, I, I want to serve you. If, you give me X. What we're doing is we're committing idolatry. We're worshiping a false god. And, and try, as we, try as we might to paint it with Christian paint, it's still false religion. It's still idolatry. And this is what Jonah's doing. He's saying, God, I, I worship you. I serve you. I know who you are. You're my God, except for you haven't done X. And so I'm going to have to bail on you for a bit here. This is what we do, right? So I've well. Two, two, two little stories from my life, which I've told you guys before. Um, so I, I, I've, I've been fired from a church before. I, I was a Baptist pastor, and I was fired. And what I did after I was fired was, like, you know, make this a short story, I apologize, is I abandoned God. I spent four years away from God. And in my mind, this was one of the rationales, is that like, I, I was paid to be a Christian. I was, I was Christian 24-7. I did not take breaks from being a Christian. Like, God, you saw how hard I studied for my sermons that I preached in my Bible studies. Like, you saw the sacrifices I made in my family life to be a professional Christian for you. And this is what you do to me? What was I doing? I was saying, God, I'll serve you. In fact, I'll be the best servant of you. I'll be the best Christian of all. But you have to pay me. You have to provide me with benefits. You have to provide me with job security. You have to provide me with the social standing that goes from being like steadily employed. To get fired is a shameful thing. Just outside, some of you have been there. Just outside of like losing the income. And when God took that away from me, what I was saying was the same thing Jonah was saying. Is that I'll worship you except for I need X. What's my real God? My real God is, um, you know, the, the, the money or the social standing uh, of having a job. And it wasn't really God. Uh, one more story. And I've told you guys some of this before, some of you guys this before too. So Angela and I, we tried for a long time to get pregnant uh, with uh, Harry. And uh, not intentionally Harry, it turned out to be Harry. Uh, my, my sister uh, got married and was pregnant within a few months. And I was angry at her. I was angry at God. You know, what was I saying? Like, so, so God and Angela, I've been praying about like God give us a child. And what I was saying when I was like angry at God about that was like, God, I believe in you if you give us a child. And if not, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be ticked off at you. And it wasn't a planned thing, but it exposed the idol of my heart. It exposed this idol of like, I want children. Angela and I want children. And so, in other words, another way to say this is, 
when we love the gifts of God, whether it's job security or children, whatever it is, money, whatever it is, more than we love God himself, if that's our priority, if we start to think of God as a means to get the thing that we want, and we're upset if God doesn't give us the thing that we want, then we are an idolater, and that's where Jonah's at. Here's another way to say it. Here's another angle. Very, very similar overlap here, but a little bit different angle. Wanting and enjoying the grace of God, but resenting others when they get it. All right? I, you know, so, so I want God to be good to me. I want God to give me gifts. But when he gives my sister the child, then I'm angry. This is where Jonah's at too, right? Like Jonah knows what it's like to know the merciful and gracious God. And yet when somebody else gets it, he's a little bit ticked off. Not, not a little bit, a lot. He actually says, I wish I could die. That's pretty angry. This sort of like, this is idolatry. Using God as a tool to get what we want, right? So the guy who fired me, not wanting him, and I told, I've told, maybe, maybe it's just been my small group, my community group, but, but I've told you guys before, like my heart wants him to suffer. Like my heart wants him to like have an unsuccessful church now that he's fired me. Like how broken and depraved is that? But, so what, what, am, what am I saying? Like, I don't want, I want grace for me. I like grace. God be good to me. But don't forgive anybody else's sins. And, and in general terms, I say, of course, I want God to forgive other people's sins, except the people who sinned against me. Then I want God to judge them. I want God to punish them. This is idolatry, right? Sometimes, uh, uh, just real loosely here, sometimes in our area, this is denominational. You hear about another church, uh, that's a different denomination than ours, and they're being blessed by God, they're growing, and they're preaching the gospel, and people are coming to know Jesus. And there's a little bit of like, well, they must be compromising on the gospel or something. Because we're faithful to God's word, but we're like struggling and getting small. and They must be compromising. on. There's this sense like, well, God would only bless people like me, right? Uh, how broken, again, how broken and depraved is this? This is, uh, this is idolatry. Now, specifically for Jonah, it's a specific sort of idol. And they're, they're all sort of like, for, for Jonah, it's his ethnicity, right? Jonah, it's, all of these idols are idols of self-justification. Idols where you justify yourself based upon the fact that, like, I've got a job. I'm a pastor. And I teach and I preach. And when that gets taken away from me, then I see that it's an idol. While I'm in the middle of it, though, I don't sometimes realize that I'm justifying myself with it. I'm making, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying... My existence is worthwhile because of X, because I have good children, or because I have a nice house, or because I have a nice job, or because I work real hard, whatever it is. For Jonah, this is not maybe for a lot of you, but for Jonah, it's his ethnicity. God, I knew that you would forgive those stinking Assyrians. When you're supposed to be our people, you're gracious and merciful to Israel. You're our people. How could you do that? So, in other words, for Jonah... His identity is his race. And God is a supporting pillar of that identity. It's God's job to support me. So I've got a wonderful family. That's my identity. God, it's your job to, you know, to promote family values and to protect my family from harm. What, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm justifying myself and I'm using God as a pillar for my own self-justification. That's what Jonah's doing and we all do this. So ask yourself the question real quick here. What's the thing that defines you? What's the thing in which you find... And we've asked this question a lot. It's kind of a, uh, an old question that we always go back to. What's the thing that you find your identity in? The thing 
that if it was taken away from you, you'd want to die. The thing that if it was, if God said, no more, you don't get this anymore, you'd say, well, just kill me right now, like Jonah. Just kill, I, I, it's not worth living. If you're not going to be the pillar that support my own self-justification, God, it's not worth living. Maybe, maybe to, to go back to the children, maybe it's the love of your children. Or knowing that your children agree with you or are on board with you or are in the faith. I know a man who told me one time that his son told him, his son was in his 20s, and his son told him, Dad, I'm not going to church anymore. I don't believe that stuff. And he told me that he said to his son, he said this, he said, you have just taken the joy away from me. You've just taken my joy away. And it was true, he had. And he told, he said this to me like, this was a good thing to say. Like, this will help him understand the damage he's doing. No, it won't help him understand the damage that he's doing to his own soul. It'll understand that you valued him more than you valued God. Why would he want to worship a God like that? Whose God, whose only job was to make sure that his kids agreed with him about everything. You just exposed yourself as an idol, and we all do this, right? It's easy to see it with other people, but we all do it. This is one example. This is another example. Like you always hear these stories after after you know the uh, the market crash in 1929, after the market crash in 2008, lots of suicides. Why would you, even if your job was like a day trader or something, why would you commit suicide because of that? It's not just because you lost your money and now it's going to be hard to make money. Lots of people have a hard time making money. Lots of people who make lots of money remember what it was like to not be, have a lot of money. The reason why you would commit suicide, the reason why you would say, God, end this, is because you tied your identity up in that and your success as measured by finances, but as worked out by the way people looked at you, your status, these sorts of things. Like, What sort of thing, if it was taken away from you, you would say, I can't live anymore. I was talking to a, stu- a high school student once who said to me, he said, well, he's actually asking me advice. Should I tell this girl uh, that I like her? And I tr- try not to get involved in that mess because you know, I'm going to say the wrong thing. And part of me is always like, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. It's you know, maybe she won't like you. Maybe she. But and like, part of me is like, okay. So high school. I'm sorry. I apologize for this. Like, I realize it's a big deal. But like, looking back at the things that I was concerned about as far as the opposite sex goes in high school, I look back and I'm like, why did I waste so much energy? Except for I can't say that to you. I can't say, well, what a, forget it, you know? Go play some video games. Forget the girl. Okay, it just comes, you know, it's, it's not realistic where you're at, and it comes across as rude. So I was talking to him, and he actually told her, I'm into you. And she said, oh, oh my word, I did not know. I, I, you know, I just think of you as a friend. And he came and he talked to me, and he said, and he actually, he actually qualified and said, I'm not suicidal. Anytime somebody starts a, a sentence with that, you're like, oh my word. Like, speak slowly, you know, give me time to breathe here. Like, I'm not suicidal, but I just don't feel like anything's worth, and he wasn't suicidal, but he really did feel like my existence is gone. And I, I'm not saying it's not sad. I'm not saying it's not a big deal when you lose your job. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying it's not a big deal if your kids don't agree with you about stuff. I'm not saying it's not a big deal if the girl's not into you. But, if it's such a big deal that your notion of who God is and your relationship with God is buckled and it can't bear the weight of what you're going through, then what you're losing was an idol. If you're angry at God for not supporting what it is that your goals were, then it was an idol, right? Let me give you a couple quotes here. This is from uh, Nietzsche. I quote Nietzsche too much for a Christian pastor, but it's pretty good stuff. Nietzsche says this, 
This is bad. This is a bad, so let me this. This is a bad quote. All right. This is not, I don't want you to think like this. Uh, ask yourself why you exist. That's what Nietzsche says. Ask yourself, why do you exist? And if you can get no answer, try for once, this is actually what he's saying. Try for once to justify the meaning of your existence. Try for one time to justify your own existence by setting before yourself an aim, a goal, an exalted and noble end. You need to have something to work forward to to justify yourself. And then he says this, perish in pursuit of this and only this. Find something in your life that you're going to chase after and you're going to get or it's going to kill you. Justify your own existence. Say, Find something that you'll be able to look yourself in the mirror or you'll be able to post something on Facebook and say, I, this is why I have value. I exist and I'm worthy of being accepted by myself and other human beings because this. This is bad. That's an idol. What, what, what God wants you to do is find your justification somewhere else. Not in yourself. You cannot bear the weight of it. Your kids cannot bear the weight of it. Your finances cannot bear the weight of it. Your affection for that significant other, she or he can't bear the weight of it. Let me give you a, 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 a good example here. So, and, I, and I've quoted part of this to you before, but some of you remember the uh, movie Chariots of Fire about Eric Liddell, uh, the British runner in the uh, British Olympic runner in the 1920s. And so he's, you know, he, he's his identity is not in running. He loves to run, but his identity is not in running. His sister says, "Your identity." It's a true story. Eric Liddell ended up being he ended up dying as a missionary in China. His sister says to him. You gotta give up this stupid running nonsense because God called you to China to be a missionary. And as long as you're messing around with the, this Olympic running, you're abandoning your call. And he says this great line. He says, uh, I agree, sister. God called me to China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And what he was saying is this is like, my, my identity is not in Olympic medals, even though he was a, a, a go watch the movie. He was a gold medal Olympian. <laughs> His, his identity was in, I, I know that God gets pleasure out of me when I run. I can sense it. His identity was like, I'm doing this for God. And I know that God made me fast, and it makes God happy to see me run. There's another character in the movie, also a fantastic Olympic runner, also a gold medalist, Harold Abrams. Harold Abrams, who is one of his uh, uh, fellow runners. And they're friendly rivals. Harold Abrahams is explaining to a friend of his at one point, why is it that I run? And he says to his friend, basically he says, because that's all I am. And he says to his friend this line. I've never quoted this to you guys before. I'm looking down that lane, four meters wide, 100 meters long. And what I have in front of me is 10 lonely seconds with which to justify my existence. It's a direct quote. I have 10 lonely seconds with which to prove to myself and to the world that I actually deserve to exist. That's heartbreaking. That's idolatry. Each one of us has that in here somewhere. It's different from all of us. But each one of us has something that we say, if I can show people this, or if I can prove this to myself, I'll prove that I'm worthy to exist. That's idolatry. There's a symptom to this. Here's the third thing. And the symptom is, now we have, in the past few weeks, we frequently talked about fear as a symptom of idolatry. Your idolatry is exposed by the things that you're afraid to lose or the things that you're afraid to be attacked by. Here, though, the symptom is anger, right? It displeased John exceedingly. He's extremely angry. God challenges this in verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? 
Anger is frequently a symptom of idolatry. What is it that you're angry to lose? Now, anger isn't always sinful, right? It's good to be angry about sin. It's good to be righteously angry at injustice. But anger about something, anger about an idol that you're losing is... Let me say this, and then we'll move on, make this real short. Check your anger. All of us are angry about stuff. Check it and ask yourself the question. Ask God to show you by by His Holy Spirit. Why is it that I'm angry? Am I angry because there's injustice here? Or am I angry that something that I was using to identify myself is being challenged? It happens to me a lot. Like if somebody in the church says, I don't really like the way that we're doing something here. My instant reaction emotionally is anger. Why is that? It's part of my identity. Part of my self-justification as a pastor here at St. James is that I make all the right decisions. I'm super, almost infinitely wise. I would never say that out loud. Such that you guys don't even, you don't even really need to contribute or have thoughts because everything I do is just so wise that you just like sit back and passively follow me. It's like sounds stupid to say it out loud, but it's actually my idol. It's the way I feel. And when somebody challenges like, challenge that would, by, by the way, I need you to do that. Not just because things need to go better here than they do when I'm in charge, but because I personally need my idols challenged. My instant response is anger. And what I have to do is I have to step back and say, am I angry because there's been some injustice? Well, clearly not. I'm angry because my idols have been challenged. God, forgive me. Help me to repent and help me to trust in you alone for my existence, to, to give worth to myself. That's what I need to do. Which brings us to the solution. Look, here's the, here's the ironic thing. Jonah is an idolater, just like the pagans. Sub-theme throughout the story is like, those pagans are worshiping their false gods on the boat, and they're like praying to who knows who, saying, stop the storm, and, the, and the, the, nothing's happening, because those pagan gods can't stop the storm. It's only the true God. Jonah's actually in the belly of the whale, and there's probably a hint of self-righteousness here. He's in the belly of the whale, and he's actually praying, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Maybe even feeling a little bit good about himself that he's not one of those idolaters. Then he goes to Nineveh, and he meets the idolaters face to face. And he says, God's going to blow you up. And it's delicious in his mouth, the sound of that. And then he sits back on the hill above the city in chapter 4 and waits to see when's, when is God sending the nuclear bomb. And he doesn't do it, and the reason why is because all along, he's been the idolater. <coughs> it was the sailors on the ship, the pagans who repented. It's the Ninevites who repented. It's Jonah who will not let go this self-justification, his own ethnic identity and how he ties that up with who God is. It's Jonah who's the idolater. Jonah is the one who's the confessed rebel against God who deserves to die in chapter 1. He's the one who says, I'm the cause of this evil in one of his better moments. He's the one that when he's confronted with his own rebellion, he quotes texts from Exodus 34 about the gracious nature of God. He knows it all. He knows who God is. He knows what grace is. And yet he does not want to abandon his own idols. That's the ironic thing. Double irony is this. God consistently delivers Jonah just like he delivers the ones who do repent. God rescues Jonah in the belly of the whale. God rescues Jonah, and we'll see this next week in the story of the plant. God consistently loves and rescues Jonah. The things that Jonah wants, the things that Jonah gets out of his racism, whatever those are, God says, abandon those. They're idolatrous and they're evil, and trust me, to actually satisfy your deepest desires. This be a little bit review. You want your children to love you and to, you know, you want your children to be calling you when they're adults and to believe the faith that you believe in or to agree with you about certain things. Like, what is it that you really want? You want acceptance. That's what you really want. 
You want your friends to actually genuinely look forward to seeing you. And you're angry if they, maybe you think that they don't. What is it that you're really after? Your heart really longs for complete and infinite acceptance. Something that your children can never give you. Something that your friends, something that your spouse can never give you. That's what your heart longs for. And to turn to these idols and to turn away from the one who actually offers us in the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. Complete acceptance. I accept you, no questions asked. I don't care if you have a job. I don't care if you don't have a job. I don't care if you're the filthiest sinner in the world. I don't care if you're the nicest person in the world. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I love you and accept you because of my son, Jesus Christ, God says. That's the only place we can get acceptance. And if we, we're all the time turning away from that, but we should stop turning and turn back to where that acceptance is at. Money. Why do we love money and things? What do you really want? You really want security. You really want to know everything's going to be okay. Like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be provided for. Money can't do that for you. Your property can't do that for you. Only the gospel can do that for you. We want control. I want to control you guys. Why? Because I'm convinced unjustly that if I'm in charge, everything will work out well. I want, what's, the, what's my heart's deepest desire? I want, my, I want things to go well. And instead of trusting myself for that, like a complete loser when I know that in the course of my life, everything I touch turns to dust. Instead of trusting that and looking to the gospel, because Jesus loves and accepts me in his son, Jesus Christ, he has guaranteed everything will be well. God is offering us. He's not saying, hey, give up pleasure, give up money, give up sex, give up control. He's not saying any of those things. He's saying, quit worshiping those things. And if you worship me instead, I will give you the thing that you're actually trying to get to through those things. I will give you your heart's deepest desire. That's the power of the gospel. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would open our eyes uh, this morning, uh, once more, afresh, to the gifts that you're offering us in your son, Jesus Christ, especially you, the acceptance the acceptance that we get from you, the, uh, the complete satisfaction that we get from you, the complete uh, uh, dissipation of our loneliness and our longings that we find in you. Open our eyes to this one more time in the power of your gospel, especially as we come to your rail now and experience the power of your word and the bread and wine. Rescue us, sanctify us. Help us to believe once more in your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.